The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Good morning, and welcome to Let's Talk Movies with Moira and Shannon. I'm Shannon. And I'm Moira. <laughs> and, and we are on this new uh, magical, as you were saying just a second ago, it's movie magic. Because uh, Moira and I are still doing this long distance, but it sort of looks like we're in the same space now, thanks to Traven. So, yay, Traven. <laughs> yes, I think if we, no, I'm, I have to go the other way. If we reach that far, then it's almost like we're holding hands, but you can't see it. Um, because Traven is magical, uh, which is fun. And, and I love this. It feels like we're in, is that, I don't know if that's New York City behind us, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Fabulous. Moira, this is our last show before our big Oscar show. Oh my! Is it? Are we doing? Are we doing one right before? No, we're doing one right before. That's our Oscar show. Oh, that's the Oscar show. Oh, that's sorry. The Oscar sorry. Show. Yes, um, it's, the- <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. But I, 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 I feel the whole thing heating up. Because um, mm-hmm. isn't it? Is it this weekend that's the SAG Awards? I think it might be. I know we had the the People's Choice, the Golden Globes, you know, yeah. and all that lead up to a golden statue season oh baftas the baftas happened as well oh i see i didn't pay attention to that was it shocking um no i was glad to see the young guy from banshees of inisherin got uh good an award uh barry keegan Keegan, yeah 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 so that was that was a delight to see that so but i i wasn't really paying a lot of attention to it. I have to say, I kind of forget about it, which is terrible. (laughs) I I didn't, I didn't even know that it happened, but I always like to see what, you know, because different people have different sensibilities and there are some, there's so much heated discussion this year about who should have been nominated, who could have been nominated. Why was this person nominated? Um, Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting discussion, but we can talk about all of that during our big Oscar show today. We've got, a bunch of different uh, films that we're going to be reviewing, some of them that are in the in Oscar contention, some that are not. But we think that you guys will find it interesting. Before we get going, though, a couple of things. I um, want to let you guys know that we pre-taped this show last night, but I'm watching with you live so that if you want to write in and ask questions about what we're talking about or something else, you absolutely can. And Moira is, is someone who does a lot of work with Taka, and we usually ask if you have any update what's going on is there something we should be keyed into so what's happening over at taka well we are gearing up for autism action month as we call it autism awareness month april um and we have a conference series that's all going to be virtual and each week is going to cover a different topic um each week of april and uh and it's going to be on our virtual platform and we're going to have recorded lectures and live take action sessions and parent panels. And um, it is, I think, going to be a wonderful uh, 
place to learn and try to figure out like what's my next step for my kiddo and maybe get some specific questions answered and all of that. And then we're also doing what we call National Coffee Talk Day, where we're across the country and virtually going to have opportunities to um, get together with other parents and same thing, share information, um, learn about local resources. If, if it's an in-person event um, or if it's a virtual event, le learn about how to find local resources, which I think is a big challenge for everyone. And I'm, I'm super excited about that. The cost for that is only $35. And um, there are scholarships available if that is a challenge. Um, we're happy to provide a scholarship for you for the registration. And um, it will be, like I said, the entire, there'll be stuff happening during the week, during uh, the entire month of April. And then you will have, I believe, access to the recorded sessions. I don't think to the, I'm not sure if you get the access to the recordings of the panels, but um, you do get the, the lectures so you can watch them later if you missed one. So that is super exciting. Yeah. Um, as well as what we normally do, we have uh, what we call virtual support hours that are available to join um, our TACA mentors virtually and then also across the country there are different volunteers that are offering an in-person uh support so uh keep an eye on our website takanow.org for all of the events that are coming up you know and, and not for nothing like you've said before tons of information on that website yeah. for you to peruse and uh we have these wonderful checklists you can download that can help you organize organize your life <laughs> There you go. Taka now, T-A-C-A now.org to be able to find all of that information and to find out more about this uh, conf virtual conference. Mm -hmm. Do you know what day the National Coffee Talk is? Um, it's going to be every Thursday okay. in April. So um, there are going to be a couple of different times and then the virtual will be the last Thursday in April. So um, in, it, depending on our volunteers and who's able to host in their local area, we'll have a listing of that and you can RSVP like, hey, that's not far from me. I'll go and meet them. And we're gonna have, I believe it's gonna be 11 a.m. whatever the local time is and 4.30 p.m. for the two times for uh, in-person coffee talks. So, um, and again, if it's if you can't make, if it's not close enough to you, by the end of April, the last Thursday in April, we'll have two options for uh, virtual meeting in, in the virtual realm. There we go. <laughs> and I should say too, I haven't even talked to you about this that we're we're doing. But I've talked to Lisa Ackerman about it. We're what we're doing in April is uh, a podcastathon in the first week of April, where we're going to go live for 44 straight hours nonstop, like all, all around the clock, almost twice. And, um, and, we're, and obviously, you know, we can't do that by ourselves. So we've asked for people to do guest takeovers. And we've talked to Lisa about Taka taking over an hour. It just occurs to me as I'm saying this to you that I have not said to her which hour I want her to take over. I need to connect with her on that. Uh, but okay. we, we have a plan to do that. And I want to talk to you about which hour we can do a Let's Talk movie during that as well. So, Sounds fabulous. Uh, there we go. And there will be lots of other guest takeovers too, 44 hours around the clock, but Taka will absolutely be included in that, you guys. And, and I'm sure that you guys will be giving resources about that conference during that hour as well. But I also mm -hmm. love $35. I mean, you it's hard to buy a book for that, right? 
Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that I love that Taka has this policy that if that is not within your means, no one should beat themselves up about that. I, I was a person that that would not have been in, within my means, and I was the beneficiary of a Taka scholarship. You should not feel bad about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know. and you're not, and you're not taking a place away from someone else. So yeah. I know a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm taking something from someone else. We, you know, don't, don't worry about that. And that is absolutely, we want you there. We want you learning. Yeah. And, and I know for me, you know, it was a really great day for me that eventually I was like, oh, I can donate to the scholarship fund and, you know, eventually pay forward what was paid to me. So don't feel bad about that either, because someday that will be you. Someday, mm -hmm. if your scholarship, someday you'll be able to send somebody else and you'll go, look at that. I'm having mm -hmm. a good day here. I can pay it forward. So it's all what? good. Get the information. Mm -hmm. That's the important thing. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So we've reached the portion of the program where we've taken care of the business. And now we can ask the question, what are you watching? Uh, so there we go. There it is. What are you watching? Uh, and Moira and I are going to tell you a little bit about what we are watching. So we've got quite the lineup. We have to kind of steamroll through these because we've got a lot of things to talk about. But uh, let's take a look at what's first on our list that we're going to talk about. And I always like it when Moira goes first because she does these wonderful little synopses of the, the films that I absolutely adore. So first up, I, I think, if I recall, we're talking about Women Talking. We are indeed. Women Talking um, is based on a true story that happened be, uh, around 2005, 2009, between those years, in Bolivia, in a secluded Mennonite community. Um, women and girls were drugged and raped by men in their community, and the age range of the victims was from age 5 to age 65. So horrific horrible but this film is a fictionalized version of the real events and in it the women gather uh, after the people have been caught in the act as it were they gather to decide what they're going to do and um, they have these options do nothing um, stay and fight or leave and so the entire film is them talking about the pros and cons of each of those choices and it, it's like a play um, in, a, in a sense, but it is it was not originally a play. Um, and the only man that's allowed into their discussion is a school teacher um, who's taking notes of the meeting since none of the women there can read or write. Um, so it is an amazing cast of characters. And it reminded me a lot of 12 Angry Men um, because you're just hearing everybody's different perspective. Um, and watching these actors, this fabulous group of actors go step by step through the debate of what to do next, I found that mesmerizing. And the reactions to the situation run the gamut, like the rage that Claire, Claire Foy, her character, displays to the gentle, gentle thoughtful character of Rooney Mara, um, who's somebody who somehow managed to forgive, you know, and um, to the heartbreaking character played by August Winter, mm. who's dealing with the trauma she went through by wearing boys clothing, not speaking at all and keeping company exclusively with the children. Um, and then Frances McDormand, um, who doesn't want to leave and doesn't want to debate. So 
it's it was fascinating to me and the issues they cover is like can you find salvation if you're not within this community and if you don't forgive the rapist and many of the women feel that leaving the community means their eternal souls will not know salvation so i i like that we didn't see any of the crime we only saw the aftermath which was you know i think the director, Sarah Polly, which is very sensitive in the way she approached all of this. Um, and even without seeing that violence, the impact is clear, even if their next steps are not so clear. Um, I, I found it riveting. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I did too. The thing that I said about this is that, you know, there are some movies that you love and then there are other movies that you just deeply appreciate. And mm -hmm. I deeply appreciated the the film. I deeply appreciated what it was that they were trying to say and the way that they were trying to say it and, and the cast of characters. I am a huge Judith Ivy fan. I had the great privilege of working on a show with her on Broadway many, many, many years ago. I wasn't acting in the show. I was working in production, but she was the star of the sh one of the stars of the show. And she's a brilliant human being. And to see her at this point in her career play this role, it brought me to tears. I just thought that her performance was a masterclass in acting. Mm -hmm. and, and I've always been a fan of hers, so, and she just, she's a good person. So that just made me very mm -hmm. happy. And I'm, I'm a huge Claire Foy fan. I, mm -hmm. I, I literally, if she had not won an Emmy for playing the queen in the first uh, year of the crown, the, the second year of the crown, I literally was like, people are going to have to sedate me. But fortunately, <laughs> she did. Um, I think that she is one of the finest actresses. And, and there were so many other performances, like Sheila McCarthy. I just want to shout out to her. She had a moment in the movie that was so genuine and heartfelt that it, mm. I, I both laughed and cried. I just, I was like, oh, what a lovely little moment in the film that she had that was incredibly impeccably serious and stopped everything, but then ultimately leads to great laughter. I just, I just thoroughly enjoyed her performance. I think she's an unsung uh, hero uh, often in films. But I, you know, it, it was hard to watch. The, the subject matter was hard to watch. Um, and, and it wasn't jazzed up. Let's say that it wasn't like they were going to like, oh, and how can we make this more palatable, more interesting? It really was a thoughtful piece where you had to be on the ride and hear the arguments. And I thought that it, it bloomed like a flower, um, mm. that as we saw the moment when one person realized, okay, now it is clear to me. Mm -hmm. And then, and then one by one. And I also, it's funny that you said 12 angry men, because I said to my husband, this is, this is 12 angry men. <laughs> um, but I, I will say too, that when I sat down to watch it, I had not yet read about the, the real story. And, mm -hmm. and in the film, it says, this is a, this is the imagining of, I don't know what the phrases they use. This is a feminine imagining of what could have happened. And right. um, so I wanted to go back and read, was there, because, you know, he took the whole account and I was like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if that, some of it was the actual account. But in mm. fact, that is not what happened at all. Um, um. That, that in, the tr in the real story, what happened is the people who were caught were imprisoned and are serving a 25-year sentence. 
and the, the women didn't have to make a choice about, or, you know, or we don't know what happened. But mm -hmm. in any case, um, that now what is happening is that women are being, uh, are writing, the whole community is writing saying that these men should not be in jail for these 25 years, that, uh, that they, it wasn't them. Um, and, and some of the women who originally said what happened have recanted, but there oh, is no. believed that they were forced to recant. Right. And, and so if you are watching this movie and thinking, yes, but this would never happen now, I just want to remind everybody that very likely it is in fact still happening, still happening. now. Mm -hmm. And that's... Well, and this this is why it's so important to continue having these conversations. And yes. I found it, that hit me, the, the, the idea of how it would conflict with their faith if they were not to forgive. Yeah. And I, I was, that was just a consideration that I didn't even, you know, cause I'm like, just fight, you know, I, I had the, the rage was like, yep, I would go with the rage, but that to hear that it's like, Oh, it takes your breath what? away. Yeah, it really does. It really and it, does. And it almost, when the movie was playing, it almost had this, like you weren't sure. I was never entirely sure. There's one, one thing that comes into their community that keys you into the fact that this isn't 1962, even though, mm -hmm. because they're dressed like Mennonites. So it could be 1867 for all you, like you aren't sure what year it is, but something mm -hmm. comes in and lets you know that it's not that far in our past. Um, mm -hmm. And then to to read that in fact the the events that it's based on happened in two thousand and five, mm -hmm. which I know everybody yeah. feels like that's so long ago. Well, it's not, and mm -hmm. and the fact that it likely is still happening now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, heavy, very yeah. heavy, heavy, yeah. heavy stuff. But I do yeah. think it's worth watching. I think that it's an important film. I think it's a film that will be studied. I think there's beautiful work in it. Um, but it's, it's a movie to be appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Shall absolutely. we move on to the next one? Let's do it. Kind of, kind of along a thread. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, I had read, uh, I read a review that kind of talked about both of these films in conjunction with each other, mm -hmm. kind of like the, the post me too movement is kind of what they said. These are the, the stories we're going to start to see. Now this film, she said, um, it's got, the fabulous Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. And of course you mentioned Pat Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower, great cast. Um, this one reminded me of all the president's men and mm -hmm. spotlight. Yep. Um, it took a little bit to get going, but once it did, it was rolling. And um, Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan play Jody Cantor and Megan Tui, real life New York times reporters whose expose of Harvey Weinstein inspired a flood of me too stories to come out. Um, when we can hope, we can hope that this leads to changes and protections for women in the film industry and hopefully in any workplace. Um, both of the reporters are mothers, which I really loved. I appreciated that. We watched Cantor, Kazan's character, try to balance raising her kids while chasing this big and important story. And then Mulligan's Tui is struggling with postpartum depression. And I love that it wasn't portrayed as a dramatic weakness. It was just yet another thing she had to deal with in order to also do her job. 
So both women did their jobs and did them well, even with having these complex personal lives. Um, the sad thing was seeing that until there was a multitude of, of accusers, nothing was certain. Um, the board members of Miramax paid off Harvey Weinstein's victims and then got them to sign non-disclosure agreements. The film also addresses the secondary assault of like uh, institutional betrayal, this cover-up. Yeah. Um, these women who came forward, even if they got a settlement, they lost their careers. And um, Harvey was free to continue assaulting and, you know, and continued to do so until stopped. Um, and it, this, like I talk about, the institutional betrayal is kind of reminiscent of the Catholic Church reassigning priests to another parish, which is why it kind of reminded me of Spotlight as well. And um, I believe that the, the they used the, possibly the real recording of Weinstein when he was trying to cajole and gaslight the, uh, the actress and get her to come into his hotel room and she keeps protesting and he keeps pushing. It was upsetting to hear, but I felt like that was, that was chilling and, and important. And um, I just, I loved it. I watched it twice actually. Um, and, you know, my husband watched it with me the second time and he was like, God, it took a little bit to get going. Cause I, you know, I think he didn't, he, you know, wasn't as engaged with it. And then it kind of turned a corner for him. And it was, I just thought it was terrific. And, um, and uh, Ashley Judd is in it playing herself. And uh, these women were incredibly brave, how, you know, having, you know, coming forward to, to do this. And I love that it was two female reporters that were, that were chasing down the story. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I didn't love it. Um, <laughs> I didn't love it. Now, uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Now, were there good elements to it? And did I think that these two actresses were, you know, the cast was was really good, but I had problems all along the way. Uh, mm. I thought that it wanted to be all the president's men, but that I thought the best part about it was the fact that they were two women working hard to overcome this hump that had mm -hmm. to be overcome that in order for the story to be able to be published while they were mothering, as you said, and they both had different issues with the mothering. And I thought that was more interesting than the way they decided to talk about overcoming the hump. And I don't know whether they, like, for me, I felt like they chimped out on it a little bit because mm -hmm. the hump for me wasn't that, they made it sound like in the way that they, um, advertise it was that it was a big deal for the women to come forward. And I kept getting up out of my chair and going, no, that's not the problem here. Because time and time again, even in the movie, they would go and meet with somebody and the women would say, I did come forward. I mm -hmm. did, and you guys didn't want to cover it, and no, no traction was pulled, and my career is over. It mm -hmm. wasn't that these women would not come forward. It was that they were asking them to come forward again after they'd already done it. And I felt mm -hmm. like that was a part of the story that they just didn't feel interested in telling. And mm -hmm. I thought that it, like, look, it's a triggering subject, and it's a subject mm -hmm. that isn't in our far past. So mm -hmm. we have not completely had a chance to deal with or heal with this. And I felt that it was unconscionable of them that they blurred the line between what is real and what is actors portraying. So when we actually were hearing Harvey Weinstein, mm. man, I, I was like, what 
on earth are you doing? Mm. And then when we actually saw Ashley Judd, I felt that that was a horrible, horrible choice. This is a mm. woman who has been through horrible, horrible things and, and has a voice. And I, and I love Ashley Judd and I love her speaking out in whichever way that she wants to, but by putting her in a position where she's playing herself talking about it, it leaves room for people on the side to see, see how polished is of an actress. She's got her story down. I, I think it invites other conversations. And I, and I felt like, I felt like the people who put her in that position weren't thinking. Hmm. Um, so I, there was a lot of it that quite frankly offended me. Um, and, and that it was this self-important, well, we're the reporters, we're going to crack the story. We're going to make this happen while they were standing there in the face of people and they were harassing them. They were hmm. harassing them to come forward, not the first time, but sometimes the second and third time. And they glossed over that. And that made me mad. So, um, you know, again, did I appreciate? Yes, but I felt that it was in the wrong, this story was in the wrong hands and told in the wrong way. My feeling, just saying. Mm. Um, okay. But anyway, that's, that's how I, and I was particularly mad. I love Patricia Clarkson. I, I was particularly mad at her character because she was the stonewall constantly. These women kept coming back and going, well, we have these people, we have these people that'll come forward. And she was like, oh, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I, and I and nobody had anything to say about that. Well, I feel did they? I can't remember if they said something like, "How many does it take, you know, to to take down this guy?" And it had to be, you know. But didn't you, the- as a woman, want somebody to say, "You are a woman. How can mm-hmm. you stand here and say that we don't have enough?" Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It made me mad. Maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe, mm-hmm. and I don't like that. If you, I don't well, like being manipulated. If the whole and, point and, of it is to make me upset and feel bad and, and ugh, no, I don't like that. So I didn't like it. I think they did. They, they covered, oh, I can't remember her name now. The, the real life person, the, the lawyer that I believe she's Gloria Allred's yeah, daughter. Yeah, Gloria Allred. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she was representing Weinstein because she knew how to basically take down these accusers. And I thought that that was, a, 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 a dirty under that. the dirty underbelly of all of this. Yes. Like, yeah, we need to make them look crazy. Yeah, so I, which is make them look crazy. Which was you know? a part of the uh, that I felt got addressed in the women talking, where mm-hmm. because that like that's somebody said the most disgusting part of this was that they used our faith against us to tell us that we were crazy, that what was happening right. that it wasn't what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I felt women talking did a much better job of that. Um, hmm. But that's just me. Uh, yeah. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Moving on. Moving All right. On. Next one. Oh, next one. Triangle of sadness. Um, this is another let's get the 1% type of film, which I'm all for. Um, the opening of the film focuses on a young couple, both models, both beautiful. And they argue about who's going to pay the bill for an expensive dinner they're at. And there's a disparity in their income since female models make much, much more than male models. But we can't really root for either of these people because they just both seem a little bit, you know, self-involved. And next thing we know, we're on board a yacht and the model, the, the 
the lady has managed to get free passage for her and her boyfriend, and she's going to use social media to promote this lifestyle. So lots of selfies of her with expensive-looking swimwear while she pretends to eat the food on this fancy yacht. Um, And then we get a peek into the lives of the other uber-rich passengers, and it's cringy to watch how their clueless behavior impacts the crew. Um, not surprisingly, the rich are completely selfish and self-involved, and many of them have either inherited their wealth or have earned their money from the pain and suffering of others. Um, the yacht then goes through a storm, and we see the passengers tossed about, eventually unable to even hold down the expensive meal they have all been eating, and so that makes for some slapstick kind of moments. Um, and then the tables turn when the passengers are shipwrecked, And um, none of the rich folks has a clue on how to survive. So that part of the film I really enjoyed um, because it was, I liked the tables turning and the capable people sort of rising to the top, but then also people trying to utilize whatever had worked for them in their normal life and how it kind of wasn't maybe working now because what they had was not as valuable. Um, And I thought the ending... uh, was really ambiguous uh, and I was kind of pissed off by it. And apparently in a recent interview, the director didn't really even know what he was going for. And I was like, Hmm, so I don't feel bad that I didn't get it. Um, But honestly, I feel like glass onion and the menu did a better job of picking on the 1%. I just found this film just annoyed me and I know it was one of your favorites. So I'm interested here because I was like, really? I'm watching it going, Oh, I am just not getting it. So I'm enlighten me. What what did I miss? Oh, I love this movie so hard in so many different ways. Um, because I, I, you know, I'm always interested in tell me a story, and and you know, I'm interested in tell me the story, and in many ways as you can that makes it interesting, right? And mm-hmm. when I sat down to watch this movie, I knew nothing about it, absolutely <laughs> nothing. And it started, and, and, and the first scene, I was like, what in the heck are we watching? And uh, I wasn't sure, right? And then it all changed. And now I was watching this scene, and, it's, and it really, and it even describes itself as being something that's in three acts with a little bit of a, a boost in the beginning. But mm-hmm. in, in this scene where, these, where this couple is discussing, like, who is paying for dinner? And, mm-hmm. and the little negotiations and the little nonverbal things that were happening where mm-hmm. she had the, she was making more money, but she had the expectation that he was going to pay for the dinner. And mm-hmm. I found myself leaning in. I was like, oh, we're really going to talk about this? About the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, beautiful women feel that, you know, the guy should always pay for the check. And if the guy says something, he's just a selfish asshole. And mm-hmm. I just I just found that a really interesting topic of conversation that never gets discussed. And I was like, mm-hmm. but where is this movie going to go? Right. Mm-hmm. So then when I found when when we were on the ship and again, I don't think any, I disagree. I don't think there's been a movie in the last 10 years that has had a better time poking fun, but not just at the 1%. They were poking fun of power in every form that it comes in. Mm. Of of what, you know, because we get stuck in these discussions about toxic masculinity, but Mm -hmm. we forget that, how about we just talk about power? 
mm. and that that and because I feel like that has been the topic of discussion this in in this in, in this class of films 2023 I feel like across the board everybody was talking about power and everybody's lauding tar because tar mm. said oh it's not just men but I mm -hmm. think triangle of sadness did this the best and it does it in a way if look if you can tell me a story and have me lean in and have me laugh and then mm. surprise me <gasps> oh we're talking and mm. and have me look at something in a way that i've never looked at it before oh i'm i'm the happiest camper that there is i if i were younger and not married i would have ruben oslin's children because i think it's that brilliant and we laughed so hard during the ship scenes and there were all these little snippets that some it, it like steps sides sometimes it feels like airplane the, mm. with the commentary that it has um and but sometimes it feels very serious and then it gets into slapstick we laughed so hard and then to take all that and boom put us on the beach and turn that thing upside down mm. and go you want to talk about power let's take power and i dolly de, de leon was up for um uh, a golden globe and a friend said to and i said oh this movie and they said oh i've been waiting to see your review of this because i thought this movie was great too and they said and how about dolly somebody who comes in in the third act of the film and takes control of the film and i said what are you talking about she was what? in the earlier scene you just weren't paying attention to her yeah because, because she was because she was the help. Yeah. She was yeah, the exactly. hired help. She mm -hmm. was in so many scenes, mm -hmm. but but you didn't pay a lick of attention to her because mm -hmm. she was just one of those invisible people that cleans the toilet. But right. holy crap. And mm -hmm. the ending, I I, you know, I thought the ending was really interesting and I was pretty okay with it. Okay. I, I was like, well, it's a choice. Um, and, and, but it led to much discussion about, do you think it's this or do you think it's that? I right. like the ending better than the menu. Uh, well, you know, though, it, what's funny is I actually had to rewatch the ending because I miss, I miss the actual ending because there's the, the sort of, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's right. sort of a, a cliffhanger moment. Yes. And then there's a sequence of somebody running. Yes. That made no sense to me. Oh, so well, I was like, it did to me. Okay. Yeah. So I just, I was like, I don't get it, but I, I liked when things were turned around and I feel like that's when it finally found its, its feet. Mm. I, I didn't, I didn't laugh at all. Oh. I laughed. Once. I laughed once. I laughed that. so I, uh, the that's whole Woody so Harrelson cool. thing. Yeah. Oh my well, gosh. I, love I do love him. The yeah, Woody but... Harrelson thing was hysterical and there, the other thing I love is that there were all these actors that apparently uh, Ruben Oslin is, this is not his first film. It's just his first film in English. Okay. And, and so a lot of those, the character actors, like the, the couple, the older couple were actors that he's worked with extensively. I just, I, oh, I just thought they were really, and I was laughing. His, my husband and I were like beating the sofa because we were laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> But then wow. things turned around and I just kept finding myself leaning more forward going, look, if you, like I said, if you can surprise me and if I get to a point in a movie where I go, I don't know what's going to happen, this is exciting mm -hmm. to me because there's so much formula in Hollywood. This did not follow the formula. 
And, it, and I felt that there was a reason why it didn't follow the formula, and I felt that it delivered. But I, and right. I feel like it's the best movie this year to talk about power. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, agree to disagree. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Next up, I think we both agree on. Yeah. Next up is RRR, which I'm going to say it's more like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a crime that this film was only nominated for the one song, Natu Natu, which is a signature kind of dance number in it. I had not wanted to watch this because I saw the runtime was over three hours, but boy, am I glad that my husband pressed play. Um, it, it was amazing. RRR stands for Rise, Roar, Revolt. And basically we're meeting our two main characters and each of them gets an over the top introduction and it's, Fabulous. Um, they're based on two real-life freedom fighters. Um, one is Kamaran Beam, played by N.T. Rama Rao Jr. Um, and uh, the other is uh, freedom fighter is Alur Sitaram Raja, played by Ram Charan. And so this tale is set in 1920s India, and it sets our characters on a journey to either be part of the colonial oppression or fight against it. Um, so the Eng English governor is played with mustache twirling glee by Ray Stevenson and his equally evil wife played by Alison Doty, who you may, or you may remember her from Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Um, they start the story off and uh, the ball rolling by basically kidnapping a young girl from a village on what appears to be a whim because the girl is talented with doing henna painting and she makes the mistake of drawing the attention to herself um, by the, you know, the governor's wife, like, Oh, I must have, I must have this girl with me. So beam is now on a mission to save her. Um, and he ends up befriending Raju um, both not realizing that they're actually on opposite sides of this issue. Um, Raju is a badass police officer for the British government and is bound to follow whatever whim the governor and his wife want um, based on his job. So the two end up having a spectacular adventure. Um, the action sequences are incredible. Tigers are fought. Superhuman feats of bravery happen. Several scenes, scenes comparable to the memorable fight scenes in Game of Thrones happen, and we're only one hour in. I mean, it can get a bit bloody and violent, so if you're squeamish, you be warned, but wow. And, you know, we watched, we talked about this before, I think. We watched the dubbed version of this film, um, but since we both have hearing issues, we also had the subtitles on, and it was interesting to see the difference between what the actors were saying versus what the subtitles said and i thought the dub dialogue was fabulous it had a lyrical quality that was very captivating um i don't want to spoil it with this for you so i won't go on it to describe anything further i'll just urge you to take the time and watch it um it was a wonderful three plus hours i it flew by so i i'm surprised it's been so shut out i don't i don't get it well, and the simple answer to that is that the, the country of India had the choice to put this film up and did not. Um, oh. and, and that is why it is not in contention. And I don't know, there's been speculation that they thought it was going to be up for best picture and they didn't want it to be in best picture and best foreign language. Oh. And, and I don't know why it's not up for best picture. I, I mm. literally don't know why it's not up for best picture because I think it is absolutely 
without a doubt, one of the best 10 films of the year. And I would argue it's my number two of mm -hmm. the year. Um, and, and, and number two by a split hair. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would take everything else off um, except that other film out of that 10. And you could fight over the other, uh, you know, eight positions, but this should be there. Um, yes. and, and it's kind of criminal that it isn't, but I'm glad that it's getting a following. Uh, Traven has shared with us that there's even like a, a kind of rocky horror following to it, that people are doing late midnight uh, showings of it, and they're bringing things to throw at the screen at different moments like rocky horror. I think this oh. is going to go down as one of the great movies. And I, you know, I, I like I had heard about this film and heard, oh, it's like the best film ever. And I was like, OK, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And and I, you know, maybe 15 minutes in, I was going, what are we watching? What <laughs> on earth are we watching? And and the, and there was this I was sweating because yeah. it was so intense and it was so good. And I was so all in and mm -hmm. I don't like vi violence because I don't like gratuitous violence. I didn't think there was a lick of gratuitous violence in this. I thought the violence that was there was violence that was necessary to move the story for forward and done responsibly. But if you have young kids or if you are easily triggered, you do need to know that. But I love, 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 loved this movie. Can't say enough uh good things about it. Yeah, and it was incredible. I think we found it because of the YouTube popularity of two of the sequences. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and one of them was the dance number. Oh. And it is just, if you watch, I mean, it's just a delight. And and that has over like 200 million views now. I mean, it's it's insane. And I'm, I'm very glad. Um, and it made me feel like it's showing me a world I'm not familiar with. Yeah. I don't know the history of India and India struggling for independence from, you know, from the British empire. Um, so this was an interesting aspect to see it through the eyes. I mean, of course, you know, there's, they've done a well, jewel in the crown and a bunch of other things about English people in India, but it was always from the eyes of the English people. So yeah. it was nice to see it through the, the eyes of the, of the people there and, uh, you know, I just felt like there was so much to this that I'm like, oh, I want to learn more about uh, about this history. You know, and the best was... storytelling, the best mm -hmm. storytelling. And in it, you know, talk about jumping sharks. <laughs> this thing jumped 17 sharks throughout the course of the movie. And I was right there with them. Yeah, People think, oh, well, you care. can't jump a shark. No, you can if you do it right. And they do it right over and over and over again. They did. They did. There were so many times I'm like, I can't believe that they just did this. And right. it was just, yeah, it was very, Lazy very good. fun. Very, and I, I think that he should be up for best director too. I, I would agree. I feel like it's, it, the only thing that got nominated was the song or, you know, and I'm like, you know, it just breaks my heart. Cause I feel like, well, you yeah. know, I, I'm not yeah. part of the Academy, so I don't get a vote, but uh, boy, but this should be on, we should on my do. list. That's yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> On to Empire of Light. Empire of Light. Okay. This is uh, uh, Sam Mendes. And as you had pointed out, kind of semi-autobiographical um, for him. Uh, the wonderful Olivia Coleman plays Hillary, a melancholy employee of a theater palace in the early 80s. Um, she's troubled um, and is involved in a sad, lackluster, kind of degrading affair with her boss, played by Colin Firth. Um, and we find out 
that she's had a hospitalization and is now on medication to keep things even. Um, a new employee, Stephen, played by Michael Ward, stripes, strikes up a friendship with Hillary, which eventually evolves um, into something more. And in this, it's, it's very tender, the, the, the way they treat each other. She's like an, the injured bird. There's a sequence where the character of Steven is taking care of an injured bird that he's found. And that's very much, that's Hillary. He's taking care of Hillary. Um, and superimposed on this is the reality that Steven, as a black man, is vulnerable to the hatred of the growing skinhead movement, which was... Uh, gaining power in the 80s in England. And um, these skinheads wander around town causing trouble. And it's it's just a, a point of stress and, and concern, obviously. Um, and then the fabulous Toby Jones plays a projectionist who takes Stephen under his wing and explains how to switch reels during the movie. And, you know, that was neat because it's not that long ago that they had to do that. You know, now it's all digital. But back then it was real reels of film that had to be switched over in a very artful way. Um, so as I said, apparently autobiographical for director Sam Mendes and he, um, his cast really elevated this script. I feel um, they all do amazing things with their parts. And I feel like Michael Ward who plays Steven had the harder job since I felt like his character was a little bit underwritten, but he gave us a lot to, to, to see. Um, and it, it appeared be kind of an Oscar bait film for the fabulous Miss Coleman. Um, and I still kind of feel that way. It's a film worth watching, but it really didn't stick with me. Um, but I'm not going to say don't watch it, but I just feel like, I don't know. In fact, when I was talking to my husband about it, I mentioned it and he couldn't remember it. And then I said, you know, Olivia Coleman, he's like, Oh yeah. You know, so that that's an indicator. Like it just didn't quite land the plane as we like to say. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I'm not sad. I'm not sad. I watched it. I thought it was great, and you know, performance-wise, but not quite, not quite coming together. What about you? I liked it. Um, I thought that it was really good for for a lot of different reasons. But I think it's the wrong year for this film because there's so many films out here. It's it's funny how we just get into these <clears throat> things where everybody's focusing on the same kind of thing. And again, and by the mm -hmm. way, I want to say that RRR and this movie, I still think they're all about power. Mm. That everything is about power this year. And, mm. um, but also this film has in common that this is a year where we had a lot of films where um, filmmakers were doing an ode to their mothers, a respectful kind of examination because mm. it's like Fableman's in that respect and mm -hmm. to Leslie and mm. uh, Armageddon times. All of them are about, you know, child childhood looking at the you know the people in your family in particular mothers mm. and and also in this film it's a little bit of an ode to a motion picture which is also Fableman's and is a last Babylon right but there's mm -hmm. another element to this film where there is an aging woman who has is having trouble connecting with herself in, in, and the world, whether it's sexually or otherwise, and so she takes a very young black man as a lover, which mm -hmm. that's like, thank. What's the movie that with the? Um, oh, oh, uh, good luck to you, Leo Grande. Yes. Uh -huh. So, so it has a lot of the same themes of a lot of different movies. So it's really hard for it to stand out about any of these things because of that. 
What I mm -hmm. do feel like stands out about this film is that in, in, in little ways, it does each one of these things pretty good. I feel like the best memoir movie of the year was To Leslie. And anybody mm -hmm. who wants to fight with me over that woman's uh, nomination for Oscar, come on, bring it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll put on the fisticuffs. Um, but, but what I thought was lovely about this movie was a couple of things. Olivia Coleman's performance, I thought transcended the movie. I mm -hmm. felt that Sam Mendes was way too precious with this and that mm -hmm. we left, we, and it was very memorable for us because we saw a showing of this at the Writers Guild with Olivia Coleman, with Colin Firth, with Toby Jones, with Michael Ward, with Tanya Moody there to answer questions. So there's no way I'm going to forget that, right? Um, but I felt there were, even as we were watching it in, in, in the theater with that group of people, there were times when it was very clear that Sam, <laughs> my husband said, boy, he really likes to put the camera looking out a window for a long period of time. It's like, okay, Sam, we got it. <laughs> uh, we, we understand the metaphor here. Can we move on? Um, mm. He really likes to get precious with it. And I feel like Olivia Coleman's performance was better than the script that Sam Mendes wrote, was better than the movie that he directed, because I've heard him talk about it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've heard Olivia Coleman talk about, you know, this poor woman who suffered from schizophrenia. And I feel like her performance was better than what either of them know. Um, yeah. and, I, and I feel like that woman got gypped a little bit because mm -hmm. she was a woman who had, who had been suppressed by power over and over and over. And what may, I don't want to spoil things, but the thing that makes them all go, oh, she's full on crazy, was when mm -hmm. she spoke truth to power. Right. So, I, you know, I don't accept that it's just her diagnosis. Which happens, which happens all the time with women, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. let's talk about the Mar Mar Martha Mitchell effect you know, mm -hmm. one of the films that's nominated. Same thing, you know, suddenly, she, oh, she's crazy? No, mm -hmm. she was speaking the truth and you didn't mm -hmm. like it. Mm -hmm. I, I take issue with that. But I also mm -hmm. want to say that Toby Jones' performance is what's really stuck with me about this mm -hmm. film. And mm -hmm. I was so saddened that he didn't get a Best Supporting Actor nom. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll talk about that in next month's show because there are people in that category that I'm like, mm, why? But mm. Toby Jones deserved an Oscar, at least nomination. I thought that it's, it's the perfect slice of that. There's a moment in the film where he just brings it all in, in a way that it all makes sense. And, and yeah. it's him, not the script, not the direction. So that's what really struck me about this yeah. movie and stayed yeah. with me, still is with me. Um, he was delightful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, I think Olivia Coleman's performance is also, uh, you know, I would have argued a month ago that she deserved a nomination. Um, mm -hmm. But I, you know, don't tell me the woman from Two Leslie doesn't deserve a nomination because that those are fighting words, fighting words. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I have not seen that one, but I know there was a controversy uh, surrounding I, it. But it's worth whatever. watching. It's worth watching. Yeah. She's worth watching. That's, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. So I'll have to check it out. Amazing. But... It's a good film, too. It's a good film. Good. So. Good. All right. Okay. Up. Next up is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, and uh, we're going back to Wakanda. Um, we find Shuri, um, played by Letitia Wright, 
trying desperately to save her brother, King King Chala, who is suffering from an unexplained illness. And we watch as she fails to use her amazing science skills to save her brother. And it, I, Chadwick Boseman, who had played Chala in the Marvel Universe, passed away from cancer. And I'm glad that instead of recasting him, they allowed the world of Wakanda and the Marvel fans this chance to mourn. Um, and Angela Bassett plays Queen Ramonda, and it, she earned an Oscar nomination for her performance, the first uh, acting nomination ever, I believe, for a Marvel film. Um, and the opening of this film is incredibly moving, and we're poised to watch what Wakanda will do now that their king has passed. Um, eventually, the film turns towards the riches of Wakanda and how their access to the only known source of vibranium is thought by the Western world to give them an unfair advantage. And there's a wonderful scene of Angela Bassett unleashing righteous rage at the United Nation because she's calling out the countries that have tried to steal from Wakanda and spells out that Wakanda has no obligation to help even the playing field. Um, and it's a wonderful commentary, I think, on just the way that natural resources have been just taken from every country of color, right? Yeah. Um, so now the search is on for another source of the stuff that Captain America's shield's made of. So we then find who we think might be an ally and maybe should have been in uh, Namor or Kuklakan. Um, played by Tanosh Tanok, I'm not sure how you say his name, Huerta. Um, and he's an ancient god who's got a kingdom deep in the ocean and also has access to vibranium. Um, but basically, he kind of threatens the queen and Shuri into forming a, an alliance against the rest of humanity. Um, and then Martin Freeman shows up again. Again, as the agent Everett Ross, trying to help his friends in Wakanda without committing treason. Um, but the plot gets a bit bogged down at this point and turns into your basic Marvel films with, with tons of special effects. Um, the opening scene of Chala's funeral is so moving, as is the ending in the after credit scene. Those bookends of the film elevated the rest of was what was not completely thought uh, not a completely thought out marvel film in my opinion um it's worth watching if only for the fact that i four of the or actually it's five i believe of the main characters were smart brave kick-ass women of color and we just don't see that so that was pretty amazing um and then i'm not i'm not angry about angela bassett getting an Oscar nod for this. Cause I, I do adore her, but ultimately without the book ended things, I don't know that this would have been that big a deal. You know, I felt I didn't really connect with who the villain was and why he was doing what he was doing. And, you know, it just turned into a like actiony fighting. We're speeding through the streets movie. And I'm like, okay, you know, been there, done that. So like I said, the opening and closing, were really why you would see this movie, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I I agree that I thought, look, uh, what a horrible thing to for the world to have lost Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. What a talented actor, and and what a huge piece of the original movie, and 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 
you know, what a devastating thing for the, for the world. You know, I think about his family, like obviously it's much worse for them, but it's also bad for the franchise, right? And they had to make a decision about how to move forward. I really appreciated how they did that with the bookends. And I think that everyone, I think they needed it. I think mm -hmm. the viewing public needed that. And I appreciated the sensitivity with which they did that. Yep. And everything in between was a misstep because, <laughs> and, and I felt like, like here in the, one of the things that I loved about the Black Panther, the original one, was that it was elevated. It was, we don't, we don't engage in violence for violence sake. We mm -hmm. are a peaceable people, but we take care of ours. We're not afraid to fight and we train to fight and we know how to fight, but mm -hmm. we don't fight just for the sake of fighting. Mm -hmm. And and I thought that, that that lesson, I was so happy to see all these young people get so excited about mm -hmm. Wakanda um, mm -hmm. because it is a place of morals, of mm -hmm. high standards and morals, and we carry ourselves a certain way. And then mm -hmm. to see all of these characters in grief now turn away from that, even if that's a plot point, I hated it. And now we have another character. It, it felt off message. And I feel like they felt like they had to do something to come back. I felt it was a horrible, horrible misstep. And now to have this other character come in and, mm -hmm. and he's there and he is, you know, and, and, and it's really he shows up. And, and I felt like he wasn't threatening in the beginning that he said, you guys did something. And as a result of it, it has brought pain to us. We, mm -hmm. You weren't even aware of us because that's how off the, far off the grid we are. But mm -hmm. now you have brought people to our door and we need you to help us to mm -hmm. deal with that. Now, you know, it's all who are you rooting for, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought that one of the great things about Wakanda Forever is that there was nobody who watched the, fir the, the first film, Black Panther. There was nobody who watched the first film who wasn't rooting for Wakanda. Mm -hmm. We were all rooting for Wakanda to win over our own country. You know you've done mm -hmm. something right when you do that, right? But, mm -hmm. but now we were supposed to still root for Wakanda, mm -hmm. but I found myself rooting for the other guy. Mm -hmm. I thought he was right. Mm -hmm. I thought, and, and he was like, you made this mess, help us clean it up because we're going to have to defend ourselves and we're going to end up going public, help us. And, mm -hmm. and I even thought his argument was right, that he stood mm -hmm. there and said, we are black and brown. Are yeah. we really going to let these people take our stuff, which has been done before? Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm with him. I'm 100% with him. And that was off message for where the film was taking us. And I went, and then it did it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. That I, you know, and, and we were supposed to think that he was the bad guy. And even, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to spoil plot for anybody who still, I feel like I'm the last person on earth to see it, but we're in a big fight scene and I'm rooting against the people I'm supposed to root for. I'm like, no, mm. these are the, no. And uh, I was like, how could you do that? How could yeah. you do that? Because this is what, this is what happens, you know, and now yeah. they're going to go into all these movies where it's full on war between these people who should never have been at war with each other. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, that, 
That one, you know, it's funny because I had to remind myself of the middle part of the movie because I, the thing that stuck with me was the bookends. So I was reading different things about, you know, the, you know, the, the, what happened. And that was one of the things they said is like the, these guys should be allies, you know, they shouldn't be fighting each other, you know? And, and then like you said, the, the, the main guy basically said that we're black and brown people. We, we need to, you know, stand up against depression. And I, I it's just, about it power was, again. It's about yeah. the power again. But I yeah. felt like there was this horrible misstep um, mm-hmm. that was playing out in the movie. And, and then there was a moment, again, I don't want to spoil, but there was a moment when you felt like, oh, okay, maybe there's a Band-Aid, maybe it's going to be okay. But if you mm-hmm. stay through the credits, it mm-hmm. isn't. Nothing mm-hmm. is okay. And I was left feeling hopeless at the end of this movie. And I don't think that that was the legacy of, of uh, the Black Panther. And I don't think it was Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman's le- legacy for us to be battling and doing run-of-the-mill, let's have violence for violence sake Marvel movies. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. like it. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it in that context. I just thought, here's another rubber stamp Marvel film. You know, so I was kind of, and you know, and you know what it reminded me of? Because I loved the first Wonder Woman movie. Loved it. Mm-hmm. And then too. they did the sequel and they pooped on everything that they established in the first movie. Just pooped on it. <laughs> and now suddenly it was, we're all in it for ourselves, including Wonder Woman. Yeah. It was bad. Bad, mm-hmm. bad, bad. If you establish characters that have integrity, have them have integrity. I'm not saying you can't have them question their integrity, but don't spend the whole movie on the wrong thing. Bad, right. bad, 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 bad. Right, right. All right. Yep. All right. And now the, the top gun. List. Top, top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I'm, I'm echoing a little bit, but I'm going to push through. <laughs> you okay. don't hear me echoing through. Uh, uh, just the, the faintest amount. I think Traven's working on it. Oh, Traven's. Oh, thank you, Traven. Um, okay. Top Gun Maverick. So to prepare to watch this, um, we watched the original Top Gun because my husband had not seen it. Um, I saw it back in the eighties at a friend's house on VHS and this friend was so into Tom Cruise and I just didn't get the appeal. Um, also, the original Top Gun was awful. It was a terrible movie. A thin excuse for propaganda and ultimately kind of a recruiting film, you know. Um, and I actually delighted in the homoerotic aspect of the original film. It made me chuckle to think that this was intended to be very macho, and but there were such undercurrents. Um, and uh, when I saw it in the 80s, Maverick and Iceman had more chemistry between them than Kelly McGillis and uh, Tom Cruise. So that that made me like, okay, let's see, let's see Top Gun Maverick. Well, I have to tell you, I'm completely shocked at how much I liked Top Gun Maverick. It's like, how did that happen? Because I really disliked the first one. Now, Maverick now, we meet him as he's kind of a Chuck Yeager-like test pilot. Um, and he gets called back to Top Gun Flight School, but this time as an instructor. Um, we don't see Kelly McGillis, unfortunately, but now there is a romantic interest for uh, the local bar owner played by Jennifer Connelly. Um, unlike the first film, there is wonderful chemistry between the two leads, um, but they also managed to make their falling in love montage very tender and sweet 
and which was surprising. I hadn't anticipated that. So Mavericks brought on board to teach a group of new top guns um, so they can complete an impossible mission. Um, this is basically a heist film. Um, or like the sequence in the original Star Wars with Luke and his fellow pilots when they're tasked to blow up the Death Star. Through their training, you see exactly how this mission can work and the many, many ways it can fail, which is always a wonderful structure. I always enjoy that. Um, the new bunch of pilots has its own version of Iceman and the very cocky Hangman, played by Glenn Powell. And then we also have Miles Teller playing Rooster, who is the son of Goose from the original Top Gun. Um, there's a history between Maverick and Rooster. Maverick feels responsible for Goose's death, and Rooster is apt to agree with him. Um, so there's a lot of tension there. A wonderful addition to the group is Phoenix, a female pilot played by Monica Barbero. And it's not even remarked upon, which I loved. Oliver called she's just one of the one of the crew, and she's just as tough and talented as the rest of them. So that was super refreshing. We have the obligatory running around at sunset in shorts on the beach scene, this time playing football. It's playful and beautiful and showing, uh, showing the team of pilots bonding. Um, it's a very emotional cameo with Val Kilner returning as Iceman, and it's just perfect. It's the scene you didn't know you needed. Mm -hmm. um, I just love that. The flight sequences are amazing. In action films, those scenes in the wrong hands can be jumbled. My husband calls it the geography of the scene. You have to know where you are, and then you can anticipate, you know, and therefore there's suspense. And the director, Joseph Kaczynski, he doesn't miss an action beat. It's thrilling. It's suspenseful. And again, like with a heist film, you know the point of no return. You know how things are supposed to go. So it's a nail biter as you hold your breath, wondering, are they going to complete the mission? Will they make it back alive? And, you know, I just love this version of Maverick. He was humbled, I think, more by the hits he's taken in life. He's more respectful of the human cost of what he's asking these pilots to do. And he's a bit unsure of himself. Um, the fact that Cruz is also showing a tiny bit of his age, he's still handsome, um, movie star, but he's got a bit of wrinkles now to go with his me megawatt smile. Somehow that was really reassuring. And I, I can't, I was just, like I said, shocked at how much I enjoyed this and how, you know, how involved I got, you know, especially considering the first one. But what did you think? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I loved it, but I didn't hate the first one. I would <laughs> never have thought that the first one should be nominated for an Oscar. Let's be honest. <clears throat> it was fluffy. Um, but I, I didn't hate the first one. I appreciated <clears throat> a lot of things about the first one. Um, but I was in the camp of I am not watching this one. I'm boycotting it because when, I was a big Kelly McGillis fan, and I thought that there was chemistry between them, so I disagree with you there. But I was <clears throat> a big Kelly McGillis fan, and I was furious that she was not included in this cast and I thought it was more of that Hollywood oh you know he like you know she's going to look different than he does because women do you know mm -hmm. um and I so I was like I'm not watching and I don't care what anybody says and then I relented and everybody mm -hmm. kept telling me no it's kind of you know like it mentions her character that it didn't work out um, mm -hmm. And that Jennifer Connelly is not a 17-year-old, that, you know, she's very close to age 
uh, um, with Tom Cruise. And so it's not, you know, everybody was like, no, calm down, Shannon, go. And then I, I think eventually I read a thing where Kelly McGillis said she didn't want to, that she didn't want to come out of retirement to do it. And I was like, oh, all right, then I'll watch it. And I loved it. <laughs> I was intrigued through the whole thing. I, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought that, uh, I, I thought it was one of the best things that I've ever seen Tom Cruise do. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that the direction of it was wonderful. The script was wonderful. I loved how they handled the whole Val Kimmer thing because he is not able to speak more than a couple of utterances. Uh, mm-hmm. because of, of uh, medical issues that the actor is having. And, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a, a wonderful way of inc- being inclusive when mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have the same facility that you might have had before. So I appreciated that. But it was yeah. just good storytelling. At the yes. base of all of it, it was just plain good storytelling. We cared about the people. We cared about what they were doing. We didn't know what was going to happen. And we were in it with them. Um, yeah. it was good filmmaking. I, I believe that it, it deserves a place on the best picture list. I don't mm-hmm. think it is the best picture, but I believe it deserves. And I would not have groused if... if uh, Cruz had gotten a nom for Best Actor. I think it was a pretty contentious crowd this year, but I, I wouldn't have, you know, asked anybody to hold my earrings if he had been nominated because I thought he was really, really good in it. It uh, was surprising, I, you know, because I'm not a, a huge fan of his. I feel, uh, I, I always felt like he was self-conscious as, as an actor, yeah. but I weirdly we were talking about him and um i think when he got cast as lestat in interview with the vampire back back in the 90s i think it was um the backlash to that was so strong that he had to come out swinging and he did and he was very over the top so i feel like that was a turning point for him where he was not just relying on like i'm just a good looking guy you know he actually had to had to do it and um but yeah and the vulnerability that they allowed you know that he was allowed to show was wonderful because yep. you know these films tend to be a little macho and i liked seeing him being vulnerable you Absolutely. know and i thought that he did it in a way that you know i think for him it's so hard he has been in the press so much for so many things and mm-hmm. as an actor, you have to overcome that when you want to tell me a story and make me think about that and not everything else that has to do with you. And I, I was in it. I was in it. I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about all the other movies that I've seen yeah. him in. I loved it. Well, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of Miles Teller as mm-hmm. well. You may know him from Whiplash, which was an amazing film. But one of my favorites of his is The Spectacular Now. I don't know if you saw that. I haven't that seen was- it wonderful film with him and uh shailene wood woodley wood i forget yeah yeah shailene woodley um that that was surprisingly not a teen movie you know i thought oh it's gonna be a teen romance movie but yeah anyway but this was good and apparently joseph kaczynski did another film that now i want to see called i think it's called only the brave um i never saw it because i tend not to be the sort of war picture kind of person. And I think this is another sort of a military type picture, but that is also people have said now, maybe people will watch that because of Top Gun Maverick. So, and I'm probably one of those people. So yeah, yeah. it's definitely a good calling card for him. Now, do we have one more? No, that's it. Uh, Okay. 
that's it. Uh, okay, so so next time when we meet, we're we're meeting a week earlier than we normally right. do, so that we can get in one last show before the actual Oscars. And I think I think our plan is that we're going to do exactly what we did last year, which is go through the big categories and just run through and give really briefly, you know, what we think, um, you know, who who deserves what and who might be in it. Is that what we're doing? I think that's great. I think mean, last time, because we hadn't, you know, we that was our first time ever doing yeah. it. We went through each film in depth. But this time, since we've already kind of covered them, we can buzz through them and maybe get to some of the directing and, and acting awards that I, you know, we didn't get to get to last time. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, lots to talk about. <laughs> lots to talk about indeed. And there are several to review just because time hasn't allowed for, um, mm. but if you're curious about that, you know, perhaps we'll get a chance to touch on uh, some of the things um, cause there are a few, uh, I, you've seen Avatar. I still haven't seen Avatar. It's the, it's the last of the best, uh, picture noms that I haven't seen. And uh, you, all quiet on the Western front. We didn't cover and, right. uh, yeah. And then tar, I guess yeah. we also did not cover. I don't know if that's best picture or not. It I is. It yeah. is hop to, unfortunately, but, uh, <laughs> like they definitely could have taken that one out. Um, but ask me how I really feel. But we'll, you know, we'll get into that. I'm still working my way through the shorts, and I think I have one documentary left to watch. And I, uh, I'm, st- I still have two of the f- foreign language films to watch. So, uh, mm. you know, I'm hoping to get that done before we, we meet again. But yeah. um, th- I so enjoy this, Moira. Tell mm. them again where they go to find out information about Taka. Um, takanow.org, T-A-C-A-N-O-W.org. Lots of information there. You'll find out all the different things we're doing virtually and in person and lots of stuff to read. You know, you'll, you'll find a lot of that and yeah. Oh yeah. Join us. Well, I enjoy this time that we get to spend together. Uh, it's so, so uh, soul-fulfilling for me, so I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you for watching. Write in and tell us your thoughts and feelings about any of the movies that we've reviewed. It's okay to disagree with us. You see, we don't always agree, and that's, mm-hmm. that's all to the good. Uh, and if there's a movie, once we get past the Oscars, if there are movies that you want us to review, all you have to do is write in and ask. It doesn't have to be a current movie. It can be an old movie. If there's a gem that you feel like nobody has seen let us know we'll be happy to give you our thoughts about that uh so i just want to remind everybody that tomorrow on friday it's uh stories from the spectrum day here at autism network that is the show that is just uh individuals who identify themselves as being neurodiverse uh telling their stories in the way that they want to tell i hope that you'll check that out then join us back here on monday as we do autism live parent to parent and then we will have dr doreen grampichet live in the studio next tuesday answering your questions for ask dr doreen and boy we've got the whole week is jam-packed full of uh, wonderful wonderful guests you guys are going to thoroughly thoroughly enjoy for those of you who have feeding issues On Wednesday, we have an expert in feeding issues who's going to be joining us for Wednesday's show. 
Uh, so that should be a great deal of fun. And then, of course, let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy on Thursday. All right, uh, but we way over time. So thank you so much, Moira, for being here. Thank you, all of you. We'll see you uh, next time. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.